0: The man was bragging about his new hearing aid and how great it was and how well he could hear with it. His friend said, that's fabulous, and asked, what kind is it? And the man responded, 1230. (laughs) According to Johns Hopkins Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health, approximately 38.2 million Americans report some degree of hearing loss, and you may be here this morning Counted among that number, and if you are, then you know how frustrating it is to want to hear and not be able to. But the parable before us this morning comes from an opposite angle and describes people who are able to hear but who don't want to. When Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear, he's acknowledging a few realities. Most everyone has ears. Not everyone uses them. And when it comes to hearing spiritual truths, not everyone does, not everyone will. So, how's your hearing today? Father, we humble ourselves now as we sit underneath your word. We pray indeed that you would give us ears to hear and that we would use them. That today, if, God, we would hear your voice, we would not harden our hearts against it. But that we would receive it. Bless our time together, God, as you convince us of your truths. By the power of your Spirit. I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. While well, resuming our study of parables this morning with one of the more well-known parables in the Bible, it's a story that Jesus told explaining how and why the kingdom of God grows or doesn't grow, how or why the Word of God is effective and flourishes in some people and places and not in others. It's a parable about hearing. And we might say, well, how do we know it's a parable about healing? Well, because unlike most parables in the Bible, this one comes with an explanation. So we're starting today at what I would call the low-hanging fruit with a parable that Jesus not only told, but also that he interpreted, one that we are virtually assured to understand, if not fully, then at least properly. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. We're in Luke, chapter 8, and we're going to begin in the fourth verse. Luke chapter 8, if you're worshiping with us this morning and you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll likely find one in uh, the rack in front of you, in the seat in front of you. If you're worshiping with us this morning and you don't have a copy of God's Word, period, then why don't you take that one that's in front of you in that rack? That would be our gift to you. And if you're reading along in the pew Bibles provided, then you'll find this on page 1027, Luke chapter Eight, as you're getting there, let me give you just a little bit of context. Jesus is now moving from town to town and village to village, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And in this particular instance, he has attracted quite a large gathering. Picking up in verse 4, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this parable of Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 13 in Mark chapter 4. and Here in Luke chapter 8, Luke gives us the streamlined version. A sower, a farmer went out to sow. This would be a familiar sight for Jesus' audience. They knew about plowing and planting and sowing and harvesting. They would have no trouble whatsoever imagining a farmer going out to his field to sow seed, because they had seen it many times before. Last April, Liz and I and Bob and Kathy made a quick trip to Amish country in Pennsylvania. We went down there to see Sight and Sound's production of Jesus. I understand some of you, hopefully, are going down there this spring to Sight and Sound's production. You will not be disappointed. I highly recommend that everybody put that on their bucket list, every believer anyway, and actually just everybody, because they're going to give an invitation when it's all said and done. It's a wonderful production. So we were down there in the springtime, not quite the time of planting, but the time of readying the fields for planting. And on more than one occasion, we witnessed these large teams of horses, farm horses, uh, dragging a plow, tilling and cutting through the sod with this Amish farmer standing behind on the plow rig in his arm, Amish garb barely visible for all the dirt and things that are being kept up But directing the whole operation. Now, that was a unique sight for us. We've not seen things like that You don't see that kind of thing around here, but it was not unique for the folks of Lancaster County They see that with some regularity It's as common to them as seeing a horse and buggy clip-clop down the Main Street, which is another thing that we don't see a lot But maybe as common to them as it would be for us to see a lobster boat leaving the harbor. Common as it would be for Jesus, listeners, to envision a farmer going out to sow. He went out to sow. The word literally means scatter. The farmer would reach into that satchel that hung around his neck, grasp a handful of seed, and then scatter that seed all about. Toss it all over the ground. Maybe you've done that sort of planting in your day. Years ago, maybe you planted a lawn before they had that nice little machine where you could put all the seed in it and, and roll it out and it would spread everything evenly. You know what it is to take a sack of seed and go and and plant the seed that way by tossing it all over the ground. That's a technique called broadcasting. Now, now a broadcast today is something that one watches on television. And before that, it was something that one listened to on a radio. But before that, the term had a a distinct agricultural meaning, implication. To broadcast is to disperse upon the ground by hand. It involves scattering of seed, not with precision, but, but with maximum coverage being the aim. As a seed is scattered over the ground, it falls in four different places four distinct types of soils. The first type of soil that Jesus describes, the first place the seed lands, is on the path. So the path is this well-worn ground that the farmer treads when he's tending his garden. It's useful for travel, but it's no good for growing anything. It's been packed down by years and years of foot traffic. It has many times borne the weight of the farmer, and the farmer's cart is hard as a rock. And any seed that falls on this path has no chance whatsoever of taking hold. It cannot penetrate that hard ground. It bounces off that surface like hail off a car's hood. It may as well be scattered on asphalt for all the good, that it will do. In fact, the seed lies on the surface and it is useless and vulnerable until the birds come down and they swoop in and gobble it up and take advantage of this quick and easy meal. The second soil Jesus describes is the rock. By implication and further explained in the other gospels as the rocky soil. Now this is not to be confused with soil with rocks in it. If you're from Maine, you know all about soil with rocks in it. You cannot go out in your yard and begin to dig without coming across some sort of rocks. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about shallow soil, a thin layer of soil, which is over solid rock. The shallow soil looks good. It looks like good soil. And the farmer sows his seed on it. And the immediate result of that is promising. Unlike the seed on the path, this seed germinates. And it springs up. And it looks healthy. But then the hot sun comes out. And the hot sun beats down on it. And because it's on rocky ground, it can't put down any roots whatsoever. It has no moisture. That soil can't hold the moisture. It's too thin. So it has no moisture to sustain it, to help it bear up under the heat The plant on the rocky ground dies just as quickly as it came to life the third soil jesus talks about is the thorny ground like the rocky soil this ground looks good to the naked eye but it has a problem that will eventually become obvious if it's not already obvious at the time of sowing there are other seeds in this soil Seeds that the farmer didn't plant, seeds that the farmer doesn't want, seeds that are going to grow uh, crops that the farmer doesn't desire. And as his crop begins to sprout, so do these unwanted competitors. They are weeds, they are thorny weeds, and they grow among and in turn inhibit the growth of the good seed. In fact, they choke the good plant out final soil that Jesus speaks of is the good soil. Some of the seed the farmer strews finds its way to the good stuff. Soil that is receptive. Soil that is deep enough to to take root, for the seed to take root. Soil that is pure enough to allow that seed to grow. And the seed that falls on the good soil does grow, and it produces an abundant crop. That's the parable of the soils, or parable of the sower, depending on what you're reading, a story about four different landing places for the farmer's seed. What does it mean? Well, the explanation of this parable is given by Jesus, and it's recorded starting in the 11th verse of chapter 8. And Jesus says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The sowing of the seed, then, is a spreading of the word, right? It is the proclamation of the message of God. So We might wonder the next, okay, that's, that's what the seed is. What about the sower? Who's the sower? Well, interestingly enough, the sower here isn't revealed. It's not part of the explanation. We might guess from this that it's Jesus, because Jesus is the one that has been speaking and preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's the one who's been doing all that work. So the farmer could be Jesus, but you know what? It really could be anybody speaking God's word. In fact, the spotlight of this parable is not on the sower. It's on the different types of soil. So whenever you're trying to study and understand a parable, what do you got to do? Keep the main things, the main things. Go with what the parable says. This parable is about the soils and the soils in this parable. What are they? What do they represent? These different landing places for the seed, for the Word. What about them? Well, they are people. They are people, each with varying degrees of receptivity to God's Word, each with varying degrees of understanding of God's Word, the Word that is spoken to them. We might also say that they represent hearts, the hearts of people. We we think of people, we think of the essence of people, the essence of people we describe as the heart of a person, what's really true about a person. And so this is a parable about people. It's a parable about hearts. Different people have different hearts in relationship to God. Some people have a hard heart when it comes to God. Some people have a superficial heart, a shallow heart for the things of God. Some people have a divided heart when it comes to the things of God. And some people are receptive to the word of God, to the gospel. Now, knowing, as we do from Scripture, about some of what and who Jesus encountered during his earthly ministry, we understand that he would have had experience with each of these types of people, with each of these hearts. Each type of person, each type of heart was no doubt present in this large crowd that had gathered from town to town and village to village. Everybody was represented there. And you know what? On any given Sunday, there's a very good chance these types of people and these types of hearts are filling churches across the world. I may very well in this sanctuary this morning have each type of person and each type of heart represented in this very place. And so the application of this parable, in fact, happens as we listen to it. And perform our own spiritual hearing test. This is where the parable acts as a mirror. mirror. This is where the parable is held up in front of us, and, and and we are left to observe it and to ask some questions and to answer those questions, like, How do I hear the Word of God? This is a parable about hearing. How do I hear the Word of God? What type of person am I when it comes to the gospel? What type of heart do I have? What sort of a listener am I? Jesus spoke to the crowd the ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You, the path person? The one on whom the word of God just has no effect? You've heard the story of salvation. You know of God's love for you in Christ, that God sent His one and only Son into the world to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross. You have heard that Jesus died for you, that He was buried, that He rose again, conquering death and the grave so that you, by placing your trust in Him, might live beyond death also forever. This gospel message you have heard, it is not news to you, but neither is it good news to you. It has never penetrated your heart. It has never influenced your life. It has never become personal for you. Maybe it's okay for your wife. Maybe it's okay for your friend or your grandmother or your children, but not for you. Now, why is that? Lots of reasons, but I'd like to look for a moment at the number one reason, I think the reason that's most universal. The gospel has never become personal to you because you don't want it to. In Matthew's account of this parable, the seed on the path is described as the word spoken to one who hears but does not understand who hears but does not understand. Now, God has great compassion on, on us when we don't really understand His Word. Sometimes we're reading passages, and we're going, like, what are you saying here? But that's not what is Matthew is teaching here. When he talks about the one who has heard the Word but does not understand, the great reformer Martin Luther, in his exposition of this parable, is quick to point out that this lack of understanding is not tied to intellect. He says, these are not the mean people in the world, These are not the dumb people of the world. These are not the stupid people. These are the greatest, the wisest, he says, the most saintly. In short, they're the greatest part of mankind. Nothing wrong with their minds. But, he says, they're of a carnal heart and remain so. Failing to appropriate the word of God to themselves, it goes in one ear and out the other. One man put it, at least he was honest about it, he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for sinners, but I guess I just don't want to give Him my life. I want to make my own decisions. Friend, if you wish to harden your heart against God, though He loves you, He will not stop you. You will be counted... In that large group of those who intend to live life on their own terms without any interference whatsoever from the Almighty. You will sing with the great Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley when it comes to the end I did it my way. You can do that. You can live that way to the very end. And if you do, then you're the hardened path, you're the seed that is cast in your direction. You won't let it access your heart. Sitting through a sermon like this is like counting down the final 15 minutes of the school day. You remember that? Oh, I remember that. I think I counted down the last 15 minutes of every school day. When is this bell gonna ring? Get me the heck out of here! Listening to a sermon like this, if you're the hard path, that's what this is like. Get me out of here. I don't want to hear this anymore. The enemy, the devil, you know, he doesn't want you to hear it either. He doesn't want God's truth to sink in. So he's going to very quickly gobble up that seed of the gospel. He's going to toss you a distraction. He's going to toss you a criticism. He's going to make you offended. He's going to give you an idea of something that you think is more fun to think about. He doesn't want you to ruminate on the seed of God's word, God's truth for fear that it might just germinate. If it does, you might turn to God. And you might be saved. And his goal for you, his end for you is your destruction. He doesn't want you to be saved. He wants you to be lost. He wants you to be eternally condemned. He will have his way with you. If you are that path, if you are that hardened soil, if you will not listen, if you have ears to hear, but you refuse Maybe you are the rocky soil hearer. Jesus said, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing all the way. That rocky ground here, that represents a shallow person, the fair weather believer. This person doesn't have a lot of depth of faith, doesn't have real roots in the faith. She's just the opposite of that blessed believer that we read about in Psalm 1, who's planted by streams of water, who yields fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. The word of the kingdom can't get a grip on the rocky soil here because just beneath that good-looking superficial layer of topsoil, there is a solid ledge. Another hardened heart. This one just looks better than the path just buried down there a little bit. And this person is happy to worship God so long as things are going well. But when the heat of persecution comes, when the blazing sun of trouble shows up, this person's faith, which has grown no deeper, by the way, than its initial response, dries up, withers away. Are you a rocky soil hearer? Have you even had a test of your faith to know whether or not it will hold up? Then there is the thorny ground, hearer. Are you the thorny soil, hearer? Jesus said, and as for what fell among the thorns, they're those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So here our Lord describes the person who's unfaithful because she or he is preoccupied. Preoccupied. This is a picture of potential faithfulness strangled to death by division and distraction, by competition for the same territory, by conflict in the mind. That's what conflict is, right? When two objects try to occupy the same space at the same time. This soil, this heart has the capacity Capacity and a substance to support growth and it would if it were properly tended but because it's not. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the pursuit of the pleasures of this world are allowed to crowd in and they take it over. The issue here is one of competing interests. Who doesn't know about competing interests? Who living in this world of ours doesn't understand how many How many people, how many things are knocking on our door all the time, clamoring for our attention. Come here, do this. Go there, be that. How many? We know all about this. And yet you understand, brothers and sisters, that we are not told to love the Lord our God with whatever part of our heart is left over at the end of a busy week. But in everything the scripture tells us, in everything, in all that you do, do it to the glory of God. Which means that God himself and the work of the kingdom must be our driving force, must be our first priority. We love him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. This is what we are called to do. In the words of the controversial 19th century Scotsman Marcus Dodds, if the word is to do its work in us and produce all the good it's meant to produce, it must have the field to itself. The fourth and the final type of hearer Jesus spoke of is the good soil. Are you the good soil hearer? Jesus said, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit. And in verse 8, Jesus said that this fruit would be, uh, of the good soil would be a hundredfold. And what that means is some of the seed actually touches down on fertile ground, praise the Lord. And the result of that is an explosive harvest. That those who hear the message of the kingdom and receive it, who hold on to it with integrity and faith and endurance, will produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Not only will they produce fruit, they'll produce a lot of it. A lot of it. And in this way, then, we understand the parable to be an encouragement of sorts. I know it hasn't sounded particularly encouraging to this point, but it is encouraging. The kingdom of God will grow, and this is how it will grow. through through people who hear and receive the gospel. They will believe and they will multiply and the gospel will lead to good results. Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. This is what the gospel does. The gospel bears fruit. It bears fruit wherever it is heard. So to those listening to Jesus in the midst of that great crowd, just picture them if you would. They've come a long way to hear this man. They've heard a lot of good things about him. Some of them maybe have seen some awesome things and they're listening. They want to hear what he has to say. Well, they also understand there's a bit of a dynamic going on. While there are lots of people who are interested in Jesus and they want to support Jesus, there's also a group of people not so interested in him who don't like him and who in fact are plotting to kill him. And so that person's wondering, how's this going to work out? What is really going to happen? Should I bother to align myself with this particular cause? Is it going to be worthwhile to do that? Will anything come of this, this one man? answer is yes. Yes, the seed will take hold in good soil and it will grow. So that was an encouragement to those people or to those of you today who are living in fear because of your Christianity, who understand the widespread persecution that is only growing and who are wondering, should I hitch my wagon to this Jesus Christ when I know that culturally this is not an advantageous thing to do any longer? Is anything really going to come of this Christianity thing? Is it actually going to stand up? You know, it's kind of like the internet when somebody said, I don't think it's going to work out or TV, right? Only this is so much more and so much more powerful. Is it going to hold up? Is it going to stand up? Is anything going to come of this? Listen, beloved. Ours is the church of Christ against which the gates of hate will not prevail. That is the word of Jesus Christ. That is the truth. You can believe that. You can become part of that. You want to become part of that. This parable is an encouragement. This parable is a reminder to us that the the word of the kingdom is going to be preached and it's going to grow. Now, at the same time, this parable is a reasonable representation, right? It's a realistic view of what really happens when the word of God is preached. And we say, well, what really happens when the word of God is preached? Well, if we look at this parable, three-fourths of the work that's done is likely to produce nothing. You think of it that way. Three-fourths of what's being done is producing nothing. Right? So it's a good thing that the good seed produces an abundant crop. Because those other three don't make anything. Three-quarters of what's done ends in crop failure. Some of you don't want to evangelize because you've done it and you've failed. Oh geez, I tried doing that once. It was horrible. I'm never doing that again. I'm going bit, bit by that dog twice. Do you understand the most of what you do for the kingdom? For Jesus is probably not going to be appreciated. Probably not going to be received. Probably not going to result in, in, in what you want it to result in. And does that surprise you? Should it? Jesus tells us many are called. I mean, we put this call out to all kinds of people. But only a few respond. Only a few are chosen, right? Jesus has entered by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. Few there be. So the truth is most people won't be saved. The truth is most people won't believe. And yet that does not stop the farmer from sowing his seed indiscriminately. We might even say enthusiastically, scattering that seed far and wide in the hopes that something will take off. Some of it's going to come to light. Some of it's going to grow to maturity. Some of it's going to yield a harvest. You see, that that low uh, uh, percentage of a parent's success doesn't stop the farmer, and it shouldn't stop you or I. It doesn't discourage the farmer, and it shouldn't discourage or hinder us when it's our time to sow the seed of God's truth. You see, brothers and sisters, our job is not to win anyone to Jesus. Our job is to tell them about Jesus. Amen? It's not our job to win them. It's our job to tell them. In fact, it's not even our job to tell them our story. It's our job to tell His story. That's the story that matters most. And to this end, to the telling of His story, He commissions us. He sends us out into the highways and the byways of life. Jesus said that. I'm sending you. I'm sending you, and the Great Commission says what? Go and make disciples. I'm sending you out with this message of my love, the love of God in Christ, the hope of salvation, the gospel and its challenge, repent and believe. Turn from where you're heading to destruction, to hell. Turn and come and follow God. And know abundant life in the here and now and no eternal life forever. And this, dear ones, is the reason that you and I should be evangelizing. This is the one that we need to broadcast the seed of the Word of God. Because the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be what? Saved. That's what Paul says in Romans 10, but listen, he follows it up with a pretty pretty good set of questions says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? Some of you sitting there today go, well, phew, good. That just got us off the hook because you're the preacher. See, Scott, that's what we pay you to do. You could even put that on your business card if you want. We'll even call you a preacher as long as we don't have to preach. You do it, Scott. You're better at it than we are. That's not what the Scriptures teach us, is it? To preach here is to herald, to publicly herald, to proclaim, to share the truth of Jesus. And in this regard, we're all preachers, every one of us. This is our task as believers. It's given to us by our mighty God. It is our calling that he places on our life if we profess to be his, and that is to be an ambassador for him. An ambassador is one who represents who sends him. That's your job. That's your job. You know what? Before we can even preach the good news, we have to hear it ourselves. Unless we get ahead of ourselves in application this morning, this is what Jesus is getting at with the parable of the sower. So here's where the parable becomes a bit of a warning. So it's an encouragement. It's a realistic representation of what to expect when the seed of God's word is sown, but it's also a warning. And if it wouldn't, maybe that's a little strong language. If it's not a warning, it ought to at least capture our attention. And you must say... Why do we in the church who are interested in this have to pay attention to this? Very simply, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who sits in a a pew will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says they belong to Christ will enter heaven. This is why we need to pay attention to this kind of stuff. This is why is, I mean, isn't it a lot easier to read the Bible for somebody else? I mean, come on now. You can be honest with me. Flip through a few pages, read something not so attractive, know exactly who that's talking about. You know, if she got her stuff together, this wouldn't be an issue, but uh oh that guy, he's a hopeless. We read this as God's revelation of himself and as God's gracious revelation of ourselves. In the Bible, we find out who God is and we find out who we are and find out what we can do about it, right? That's why we have to pay attention to Scripture like this and not just sort of gloss over it, say it doesn't pertain to us. What if it does? Because Jesus has here spoken of four types of soils, but he's really talking about two types of people. There are four soils, but there are only two types of people. It always boils down to two types of people. The first three soils are the same type of people. They're in the same category. They are there for different reasons, but they're still nonetheless the same. They are unfruitful. That is, the seed hasn't taken hold and produced anything. And you know what Jesus says about the unfruitful tree, right? I mean, we know the whole fig tree, and so we have some compassion for the fig tree, I suppose. But Jesus also says that that unfruitful tree is good for nothing except to be hewn down and thrown in the fire. That's why this matters. This is why this should call us to attention because Jesus is talking about people who are unfruitful, which we don't want to be, but he's also talking about the fruitful, the seed that falls on the good soil. The second type of person is the person in whom the Word of God is is working, it is received, it does produce something. It has been welcomed, it is implanted. People who take God's Word in like this then change their category from hearers to doers, according to the book of James. And so the question I have for you this morning as we wrap this up is, which type of person are you? Not not just what sort of soil are you. I hope you've been thinking about that. But what type of person are you? Because the fruit of your life reveals whether or not your hearing is any good. Right? The fruit of your life reveals whether or not your hearing is any good. Whether or not you have heard and received the gospel. Not surprisingly, Jesus wraps up his teaching in chapter 8 verse 18, saying, "Take care then how you hear. Careful how you listen. because the rule and the reign of God in this world that so desperately needs it does not advance through those who are hardened and impenetrable, who are superficial, rootless, or worldly, and of a divided mind. No, it grows through those who are soft and receptive, deep, anchored, holy, and resolute. Everyone is like that. In fact, most are not. And yet the most important question for this morning is... Are you? So, how's your hearing? I'd like you to close your eyes bow your heads. Let's take a few moments in reflection and response this morning. I'd like you to open yourself up this morning to the work of God's Holy Spirit. To let him search your heart. No one else can know it. And to let him apply this word to you where it ought to be applied. I want you to think, if you would, about that path. That hard heart that will not receive the word. Is that you have you been keeping God's word at a safe distance all your life? Have you have you done your best to deflect it and you're and you're still intent on doing that? I want to encourage you to open your heart up even if it's for the first time. God's truth. And I want to dare you to take a chance and do that. You will, I promise, find out that He can run your life a lot better than you can. But more importantly, you'll find out that He so desires your good. Now maybe you're not that hardened path. You know someone who is. You might be married to Him. Related to them, work with them. Just one of your kids, your grandkids. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind those people that are the hardened paths. for them I want you to plead with God on their behalf, stand in the gap, intercede, or soften these hearts. Lord, open these minds. Lord, protect these people from the God of this age who has blinded them. I wanna challenge you this morning though, not to ask God to do something that you can do yourself. I need to ask God to reveal truth to them if you have that ability while God can speak to them so can you and if you love them wonder why you wouldn't talk to them tell them about Jesus and how much he loves them and I pray you will Maybe you're the superficial soil this morning. You do a good job with the outside, with the exterior. It looks okay. Nobody would really have an inkling that down underneath and not too far at all is another hard, resistant heart that you have steeled for whatever reason over so many losses and disappointments and misunderstandings. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you might recognize that, yeah, that's me. I spend a lot more time on the external than the internal. I want to look good, but I'm honestly wondering if a a trial would to come my way. If it were to cost me something to follow Jesus, would would I still follow him? Would I do that? And if that's you this morning, I want you to direct your prayers to the Lord in these moments to deepen the soil of your life. It give you the grace to put down the roots that you need to sustain the inevitable trials because, beloved, they are coming. If they haven't landed yet, they're coming. For as sparks fly upward, so man is born for trouble. Will your faith be strong enough to hold you up and get you through? And if it won't, then plead to God. don't ask God to do what you can do because you can cultivate that soil's depth too in your fellowship, in your worship in your study of the Bible in your pursuit of Him and I wonder if you know somebody who is like that who who has a wonderful veneer but is really not healthy spiritually and you've seen that in them and you've watched them maybe turn their back on God because of trials or tribulations. You've seen it before, you think you'll see it again. I wonder if you might pray for that person and begin to think about how you could encourage them. Can you love that person into a deeper faith? Now, again, I want to encourage you not to ask God to do what you can do. Because you can sidle up to them. Speak God's truth to them, which is a biblical definition of encouragement. Drawing near, speaking with words. Challenging them to grow. Get serious about this thing. All faith. Maybe this morning you're a thorny ground hearer. you know it. You struggle all the time to keep your priorities straight. You find yourself again that straying sheep far from the fold and you're saying, oh Lord, you've done it to me again. I see it. I know it. It's true. Would you pray to God Him to help you rightly order your heart? And then not ask him to do for you what you can do for yourself in the pursuit of that rightly ordered heart. Which begins with regular fellowship and community of faith. Worship. And the giving of yourself to God in service to others. If those things aren't in your life, how's God going to be number one? Maybe you know somebody who's wandered this path of Pursuing the pleasures of life or the deceitfulness of riches. their Their name just came to your mind. Boom, you know who it is. Pray for them. God would help them to return. And consider that maybe you have a role to play, beloved, in the snatching of them out of the fire. That's what Jude tells us to do. Snatch them out of the fire. What's holding you back? Stopping you. Maybe you are the good soil here. I think you are. It looks to me like you are. But my perception doesn't matter. Mine doesn't count. The only one who knows that is you and God. If you see the good hand of God on you and you see that you are able to produce things for His kingdom, you, you sense that you are in His way as if you are drifting down a mighty river, lost in the current and loving it. And praise the Lord. Give Him glory. For you, my friend, are an object of grace and mercy. Thank the Lord for the blessing for more. Abundantly If you know somebody who you think is good soil, I encourage you this week. Let them know. Tell them what you see. Tell them how it matters to you. How it encourages you and lifts you up. How blessed you are to be part of a friendship, a family, a church where God is so clearly in the midst. Well, that's enough closing your eyes. This time of day, you might fall asleep. With the warmth of the sun beating in here, I understand the temptation. There's a couple of things before we leave You'll notice in your bulletin that uh, we are nominating Michael Page for the office of elder. And uh, as is our custom here, we don't just make somebody an elder. We believe the Holy Spirit appoints them. We recognize that appointment. We put it before the congregation. If you have any reason to believe that Mike is not qualified to be an elder, then we beg you to please.